Okay, quick disclaimer before we get into this episode, just want to remind everybody that I am not a financial advisor. Everything that I say in this episode is purely educational only based on my own personal experience, my own personal expertise, knowledge, research, and all of that. So if you have specific investing questions or you're unsure of something, I highly, highly encourage you to contact a licensed advisor for that person to answer specific questions. So with that, let's get right into the episode this week. Hello and welcome back to Break Your Budget, the podcast. My name is Michaela and I am your host and I'm super excited to be back on the pod. I took a couple of weeks away just because there has been so much going on with Break Your Budget. So many exciting things I've been really, really, really loving all of the opportunities that have come up over the past couple of weeks, but unfortunately, a couple of things, including the podcast, had to be put on the back burner for a little bit while I caught up with life. Um, If you are new here, you may not know, I know there are a lot of new listeners. I also work a nine to five job, so Break Your Budget is my side hustle. Things at work have been absolutely crazy. Um, I'm a financial analyst, I work at a pretty big company. It's publicly traded um, and work has just been really, really crazy. So my weekends have been jam-packed with break your budget stuff, trying to also be 25 and have a life. Um, And then a couple of different things happened to me and I probably am not going to talk about it just yet on this episode. Um, I may get into it a little bit as I answer some questions, but I'll probably do an episode coming up in the near future on Just a life update, Um, I made a big purchase recently and no, it was not a condo, um, if you are waiting for an answer on that. But again, that's a story for another time. I'll do a whole episode on just a life update, financial decision update, the whole shebang. but this episode, the focus is going to be on a Q&A. If you don't follow me on Instagram already, I have posted a couple of times over the last two-ish weeks questions to um, answer in a Q&A podcast episode. And I also added the Q&A feature into my bio on TikTok about a month ago, and I realized I had a ton of questions there. So... I'm just going to go through and answer as many of these as I can without making this episode like really long. Um, And yeah, that is the plan. So let's just jump right into it. So right now I have my TikTok Q&A up um, and I'm just going to go through these as best I can. So let's see, what is the first question? Let's start with an easy one. Okay, first question, super simple. What bank can I use to open up a high-yield savings account? Well, there are a ton of different places where you can open up a high-yield savings account. I personally use Capital One 360 Savings, but there are literally so many to choose from. All you have to do is Google high-yield savings account. Um, I know a lot of people who use Marcus by Goldman Sachs. I also know a lot of people who use Ally Bank. I personally use Capital One 360 just because when I first opened up a high yield account, um, one of my friends was using Capital One 360 and that was just the first one that came to mind. But you really can't go wrong with high yield savings accounts. You just need to make sure that they are FDIC insured. That's really, really important. So God forbid something happens, you know, your savings are backed by the government. You don't have to worry ever about losing money. 
But I love high yield savings accounts because they are inconvenient savings. So right now with inflation and interest rates because of COVID being really low, the yield on high yield savings accounts is obviously not that great. And I totally understand why a lot of people would ask like, what's the point of a high yield savings account? Well, the point is to get your savings away from your checking account. That's really the point. Um, yes, you earn a little bit of extra money, but it's nothing to write home about right now. Um, they're all around like 0.4, 0.5%. It's not gonna be a lot of money, um, but it is better than nothing. It's still higher than a traditional savings account. And the, re the real reason why you should have one is because it creates an inconvenient savings account for you, meaning you have to think about making the transfer into your savings and you have to think about making a transfer out of your savings. You can't touch the money as easily as if it was in just your regular bank account. So that is the real reason. So that is the answer to the high yield savings account question. The next question here, what is the best credit card you would recommend for a college student wanting to build credit? Well, there are a couple different credit cards that you could get. I used in college the Discover Student Card, and it's a cashback credit card, and I personally loved it. I thought that it was the easiest card to use. I got approved for it right away. I didn't need a cosigner or anything. So I would definitely check out Discover um, Student, and all of the Discover cards really are great first time credit cards. There are a couple of different student ones or like entry level credit cards that discover offers another one or another option would be um, like a credit company that allows you to build credit without taking out a credit card and then you can get approved for like a normal non-student type credit card once you graduate college and have a salary hopefully or a job where you can prove that like you're going to be making money um, one place that you can look into is called kickoff it's basically like a controlled credit line and you can build credit a lot easier, um, which is great. And you don't have to have a credit card and it's super easy to get approved. So that's another option to look into if you are struggling to get approved for a credit card and you are in college. Okay, another question here. So far we have 20K to put towards a house, but we're not ready to buy. Is there an account I can put this money into where it will gain some more? Yes, there are a couple of different things. So if you are planning to purchase a home in the near future, and by near future, I mean the next one to three-ish, maybe four years, that money should definitely not be invested in the stock market. The reason being is because the stock market can change at any point in time. So if all of the money that you're planning to use to purchase a home and all of that money that you're going to use as the down payment is invested and you decide you want to buy a home and the market's in a downturn, most of the value or some of the value of that money is going to be gone and you're not going to have as much cash as you put in. So that's a problem. So if you're planning to purchase a home and you're going to need a large sum of cash in the next couple of years, I definitely would say to not put that into investments. Um, but there are other, way, other ways that you can use or other places you can put the money to still get a little bit of interest. One is a high yield savings account. Again, really not that great. The other is like a CD, a short term CD. So if you know that you're not going to buy for at least a year, you can buy a CD, lock in an interest rate and earn like 5%, 4%, depending on the one that you buy. 
So just make sure that you look into options like that. You understand the terms around a CD, um, which stands for a certificate of deposit. It basically means you loan your money or you lock up your money for a year and then you earn a set fixed rate on it, but you can't touch the money for a whole year. So like if you knew you were going to maybe buy in six months, that probably wouldn't be the right option. Okay, next question here is, thanks to COVID, I've been able to save nearly 30K. I've invested some, but most is just sitting in my savings. What should I do with it? This is a loaded question. There are lots of things that you could do with it. These questions can be challenging for me. I get questions like this all the time um, because A, I'm not a financial advisor, so I can't really tell you where or what specifically to invest in. Um, but the other piece is that I don't have a lot of information about like, what your goals are and how old you are and what your situation is. So it's hard to answer specifically like what you should do or could do. I think from a high level, it's awesome that this person has invested some of their money. I would, my first question would be, do you have an IRA open yet? Because that would be a really great option to max out a Roth IRA um, and invest money through that because of the tax benefits that you get. Um, and then after that, you kind of, once you focus on maxing out retirement accounts and you reap those benefits, then you have a little bit more wiggle room to focus on brokerage investing and, you know, investing outside of a retirement account through index funds or maybe buying some cryptocurrency if that's what you're into. So I would say first focus on retirement and then start exploring some other investment options through a brokerage account. Okay, somebody asked, can you discuss the relationship between inflation and savings accounts? Savings now seem to be completely different from savings decades ago. Yeah, so this is a really interesting question because inflation is a challenging concept, I feel like, to understand. But from a high level, basically inflation means that the purchasing power of your dollar has gone down. And it can happen from there being too much money circulating in the economy. So we are, I mean, this is just my opinion, we are about to enter what I think is a period of hyperinflation because our government has recently passed a lot of spending bills, um, COVID relief bills and stimulus bills, and they haven't raised taxes. So in order to fund those bills, they've just printed off billions of dollars. Um, this is up for discussion, you know, different opinions on if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I think a lot of people would agree it's really a, not a very good thing um, because hyperinflation just basically means that everything is going to cost more and the value of your dollar is going to be worth less. So goods are going to be more expensive. Purchasing real estate is going to be more expensive. And obviously like saving $10,000 isn't going to get you as far anymore because things cost more money. That's what it means when the purchasing power of your dollar goes down. It means that the value of the dollar, so the value of $5, isn't going to buy you the same amount of stuff in the future. That's what inflation means. So to answer the question, the relationship between inflation and savings accounts. So I think this person is probably referring to high yield savings accounts and inflation. So inflation can be a result of reducing interest rates. High yield savings accounts have lower rates right now because the Fed cut interest rates 
back when COVID first started and everything was closed and people were nervous and not out spending money. They cut interest rates to incentivize and encourage people to go spend. They cut interest rates because that makes the cost of borrowing money lower. So it's more appealing to take out a loan, say to purchase a home. And as a result, a lot of people have been buying houses or refinancing because the interest rates are lower. But obviously when you cut interest rates, like it, they get cut across the board, that's why high yield savings accounts are lower. Um, the interest rates are much lower than they were about 18 months ago now at this point. Um, savings now seem to be completely different from savings decades ago. Yes, that is because of inflation. And when you think inflation is a normal thing and the regular inflation rate is usually about 2% annually. So if you think 20, 30 years ago, the value of the dollar was totally different. And that's why you hear over and over and over again every year, like things are getting more expensive or you hear of like your parents who say, in my day, I was able to purchase a home for $100,000 and today it's worth a million dollars. That's because of inflation. Um, so they are directly related, but I think in this instance, when you think about why like high yield savings accounts rates are lower, the biggest reason there is just the Fed cut interest rates. I hope I answered that question um, by what that person meant. So I got a lot of questions about how to submit a budget for me to feature in my salary series. So I do a series on TikTok and I share it on Instagram as well called the salary series where I break down different salaries of different people who submit their information to me um, and they give me their income, they give me their budget breakdown, how they spend their money, how much they're saving, where they live, what their job is, and then I turn it into a video and share it so that other people can get an idea of like, how their peers and different people in different parts of the country with different types of jobs are getting paid and spending their money and all of that. Super, super interesting. I love doing it um, and people love watching it. So it's a win-win. You can submit your budget to me through a form. Um, I will link that form in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and want to get a feature, um, you can submit your information. I do get a lot of submissions, so I obviously can't feature everybody, but I would say if you really wanna up your chances of getting featured, keep everything neat and clean so it's easy for me to read and understand because if I get one that has way too much information or you know, there's a lot of hypothetical scenarios included in it, I'm not gonna break it down, I'm just gonna skip it because it's just too much for me to decipher and fit into 60 seconds. So I'll link that in the show notes below and then feel free to submit your information. It should probably take you like no more than five minutes to fill out the form. Okay, next question here. How to choose the best credit card? So when it comes to choosing a credit card, there are a lot of you know things that you need to think about. One being is there an annual fee on this credit card? I think that's the question that a lot of people get concerned about when they open a credit card is paying an annual fee. So I would look and see if um, the card that you're looking to choose or if you're looking or comparing different cards, check out fees associated with those cards. The other thing that's obviously super important to consider with a credit card is the reward. So the benefit of using a credit card, aside from the fact that you don't need to pay cash. I don't really know if that's a benefit or a drawback, depends how you look at it. But the big benefit of using a credit card is you can earn 
rewards for spending that you'd already be doing. Whether that be through travel points, cash back, different incentives in that way. I would look for a credit card that offers you a reward that is aligned with your goals and how you like to live your life. So an example of that, I personally think that cashback credit cards are fantastic and there are so many different kinds you can use and who doesn't like just getting simple cash back. There are some credit cards that offer like 1% cash back on all purchases and 2% cash back on restaurants. I would look through different cards and see which one offers you, if you're gonna go with a cash back card, which one offers you cash back that aligns with where you spend the most money. So say you're somebody who eats out a lot, I would look for a cash back card that gives you the highest percentage cash back on eating out or dining. Or if you drive a lot and you drive to and from work, there are cash back cards that give you cash back on all gas purchases, like 3% cash back. So look for cards that offer you incentives on things that you already spend a lot of money on because then you're gonna reap the most reward. The other type of credit cards that are really popular are like travel cards. And this is where it gets a little wishy-washy on like, are these good or are these bad? I think it's important to remember if you want to open a travel card to make sure that you actually travel a lot. Most cards that offer like really great rewards for travel do have high annual fees. So you really need to think about the cost benefit of, am I getting more in rewards than I'm paying in credit card fees? And if that's the case, then it's worth it. And if that's not the case, then obviously it's definitely not worth it. But I personally use a JetBlue MasterCard and I do that because where I live in Boston is like a JetBlue hub. So basically I can take a JetBlue flight to pretty much any city in the US from Boston Logan, which is the airport that's closest to me. That's why I chose a JetBlue card. And then I get double points on like dining out and all of that. So I rack up a lot of points and I know that I'm gonna be doing traveling this year. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to California and I bought the flight, entire round trip flight with points and I paid for the actual flight all I paid was taxes, which ended up being like $11. And then I paid um, to check a bag. So that was the most expensive part was checking my bag. They freaking charge you now. Um, even with a ticket, you can't, you don't get a free checked bag anymore, which I, I don't know about, I think that that's ridiculous. So anyways, my point is, is look for a travel card that is synced up and aligned with your life and situation. A really great resource for credit cards is thepointsguy.com. He has like a whole entire section of his website dedicated to comparing different credit cards. So that would be my best tip is to look up the points guy, the points guy, and look at all of his different credit card comparisons because he lists out like what the card is and then he lists out all of the benefits and then he does a pro con like why it's good, why it's bad, why you should consider it, why it wouldn't be that great. And I think that that is so incredibly useful and helpful. So definitely check that out if you are trying to figure out which credit card to open. Okay, here is a question I feel like is pretty common. How to save or invest when most of your money goes towards bills, mortgages, etc.? So if you are somebody who struggles to find money to save and or invest, my first challenge for you would be to really, really, really unpack where all of your money is going. So that means 
listing out all of your necessary bills and expenses and seeing where every single dollar that you make is going. I feel like more recently, because there are so many subscription services and like things that are easy to sign up for or tag on to utility bills, like a cable bill, so, so, so easy to be paying $20, $30 more than you need to be for channels on the TV that you don't watch. Or like add-on subscriptions to cable. So like if you say you have a regular cable, but you also have HBO Max and Hulu Plus and Netflix, like if you have all of those things, and stars, those are all like five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month. Super easy to add on to your to your cable bill and then never use or only use for like one show. So my recommendation would be to list out all of those things and cut out what you don't need or consolidate. Like say you have a friend, I don't know if this is kosher to say on a podcast, but like say you have a friend who has HBO Max, split, decide one of you guys is going to pay for HBO Max, one of you guys is going to pay for Netflix and share each other's um, codes and passwords. So I think that there are ways to hack like figuring out um, how to get those bills down. So that would be the first thing. The second thing I would say to do is to set a goal every single month. So say you list out all your money and all of your income and at the end of the month, you only have $100 that you're able to save or invest. First of all, that's awesome. I'd rather you save 100 bucks a month than nothing. But I would challenge you to find areas in your budget again where you can reduce for a small period of time throughout the month. So I like to call these no-spend weeks. And I do them sometimes if I've had instances where I'm not saving as much as I'd like or I went on like a spending spree or something. And basically what that means is, say like, We just started May. It's May 2nd. So for the first week of May, for example, let's say you're not going to buy coffee at all this week. So that may free up like $20, $30. That $20, $30 you can invest or put into your retirement account or save for your emergency fund or whatever that looks like for you, what you're working towards. And then let's say the second week of May, you do no eating out, no takeout, no eating out for a week. That's, again, money that you would have spent that you're freeing up that you can put towards savings. So I would pick like an area of your budget every week that's flexible and focus on no spend and take the money that you would have spent and redirect it towards savings. So I think that that's a little hack that you can implement to really find money that you feel like you don't have to put towards saving and investing. The last piece here is to think of ways to increase your income. So it can be really challenging if you have a lot of bills and you feel like you've cut things down as far as you can go and you have nothing left to cut. Cutting things out of your budget, you can only go so far. Increasing your income is infinite. So there are a lot of different ways that you can do this, whether it be selling clothes on Poshmark, cleaning out your closet and Poshmarking things. I used to do Rover. And Rover is like a dog walking service and a dog babysitting service. So if that's something that you're interested in and like you like pets and animals, I would highly recommend Rover because you can get paid like $25, $30 for taking a dog in your neighborhood on a walk. That's awesome. Especially if you live in a city, it can be really, really, really easy to make a little bit of extra money doing something like that. Um, And then the other thing too is to think about like, If you have a skill, you can monetize it. And I think that that's really important to know. I think a lot of people don't want to be entrepreneurs and like they look at side hustling as 
something that they have to do and then ultimately turn into a full-time job. And I don't think that that's the case at all. I think that there are a lot of little things that you can do with skills that you already have. So say you like to draw or you like to make Excel spreadsheets or whatever your talent is. Everybody has one, so don't tell me that you don't have one. You can go onto Fiverr, set up a little Fiverr account and sell your skill. There are lots and lots and lots of ways to increase your income. You just have to get creative and you have to want to do it. But I think that finding additional ways to side hustle is the best way to take the pressure off your regular pay. So that is my answer to that. If you are struggling to make ends meet and still be able to save and invest, first, focus on really, really coming through your expenses. And second, look for new ways to increase your income. Okay, this next question, thoughts on target date funds. So I love target date funds. I think they're a really awesome option if you are somebody who doesn't want to rebalance your portfolio and you want to just put money away and not really have to look at it. They're incredibly passive. They're designed to be passive and they're designed to take the thought out of investing. If you don't know what a target date fund is, basically it's a predetermined fund um, that mimics a portfolio. So like it would be 20% stocks or 80% stocks, 20% bonds, for example. And as you get closer and closer to the target date, it automatically rebalances and reallocates the structure to become like more bonds, less stocks, or whatever the risk level of the target date fund is. So I love target date funds. I have my, um, 401k in a target date fund. I'm in a 2060 target date fund. And I plan to keep my 401k specifically in target date just because truthfully, it's a lot easier. I think a lot of people have misconceptions or preconceived notions about expenses with target date funds. Ultimately, yes, they're a little bit more expensive than if you just went the passive index fund route. That being said, it really eliminates all of the work associated with rebalancing your portfolio and that it is something that if you are investing on your own, you do need to do pretty much every year-ish. So I think target fund dates are great. Personally, I use them um, and I have money invested in a target date fund. But as always, remember to do what's best for you and make sure you do your research and you are very, very, very well informed on what the target date fund is and why you are choosing to invest in it. Whew. Okay. So I still have a lot of questions to answer, but I'm kind of feeling like I want to wrap this up and maybe I'll do a part two Q and A if you guys liked this. So with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode. I hope that you guys liked this episode. I personally loved reading through your questions and seeing what you are currently struggling with or unclear on. So make sure you let me know if you liked this episode and I will catch you in the next one.